Good morning. I'm Brett McGarry. He is Greg Mackling. And Greg, you know, when you wake up without an alarm clock, yes. and you hope that you're waking up a couple of hours before you have to get up. Versus like 90 seconds before your alarm's about to go off? Today it was one minute. One minute! I woke up just and thought, uh, there's no alarm clock. Is this a good or bad thing? So I put my glasses on so I could see, and it was 229 and I thought, oh, come on! <laughs> ah, <laughs> you poor guy. <laughs> Robbed of the bonus sleep. <laughs> Gotta hate that. Yeah. Uh, did you have a good weekend overall? Very good weekend. Terrific. Glad to hear it. Yeah, it was, uh, although you, uh, as I was lying in bed yesterday checking my email, because I didn't get up, well, I, I woke up, I think, yesterday at noon, <laughs> and then I ended up snoozing again till like 2 o'clock. I'm bad on the weekend, but... Uh, I, I saw that you had sent all sorts of pictures and video of a rather hellacious crash on yeah, Portage well, Avenue. me and one of the boys were uh, cruising uh, down Portage Avenue on our way to go visit uh, one of my grandmas, and <laughs> I see fire trucks and Winnipeg police at the uh, intersection of Arlington and Portage Avenue, and then I saw it, a vehicle right in the front of this business about... Uh, halfway in between, there's a Royal Bank at the intersection of Arlington and Portage Avenue. And then, of course, our friends at Food Fair are closer to Bernal. And just basically right in the middle of that on the north side of Portage, there's a van living inside. Uh, a, I guess it's a, a, a sun tan parlor. Is that what we call it? Body Shades Tanning Salon a and tanning Spa. Tanning Salon, yes. So, and just... You know, you don't expect to see that on a Sunday morning and was, of course, trying to figure out what went on and how this happened. But you put your journalist hat on for a few minutes and grabbed some pictures and some video and sent them into the station. So I know a lot of people uh, witnessed that happened on Portage Avenue. And, of course, you got the rubberneckers slowing down. Check it all out. Drove by there this morning. I know Jeff was mentioning it in his news. Uh, The owner was concerned as to whether or not he would be able to open up for business. Now, I don't know if he can or not, but I do know that they managed to put something that looks like a front entrance door at the front of the shop. So uh, obviously it would be uh, nice if you if you need some of those uh, tanning services. might be a good way to help this gentleman get back on his feet, keep his business going. And what he says is his busiest time of year as we lead up into summer, people like to get a base. Yeah. Right? That's or right. Or if you've got a winter holiday still to uh, come, you're going somewhere tropical, uh, a lot of people do that. So that's on uh, Portage Avenue. I have done that in that shop, actually. Well, it's a nice tanning, It's a nice uh, tanning salon. It's, it's spacious, um, which I like. So, uh, yeah, that was uh, when I saw the pictures, I thought, oh, my God, hopefully they can recover from that crash. That's a, a big one. And um, as far as uh, injuries are concerned, um, no one seriously injured during that crash. So that is a good thing because that uh, I, I thought that was my first reaction was, wow, that's. That's scary. That time of day, obviously a big issue there, right? You might have had uh, otherwise pedestrians on Portage Avenue or people inside the shop. Uh, Right across the country over the weekend, of course, here Friday, just as we were leaving the studio at 10 o'clock Friday morning, 10.30, a walk got underway to... uh, well, in honor of Tina Fontaine, and there were walks right across the country in Calgary, Toronto, Montreal, amongst other locations in our country. And when you're in the middle of a story like that, you don't necessarily realize the impact it's having across the country. But it's most obvious that 
the story of Tina Fontaine, her death, and then the story of the trial and how it how it came to be and how the uh, jury ruled on that trial has had a, a resonation across our country. Yeah, with uh, also coupling that with Colton Bushy and uh, what happened in Saskatchewan, having those things so close, those two situations so close together, um, it is uh, it has created a definite uh, reaction across Canada and. Um, I was concerned that there might be violence after, and I don't want to be accused of trying to, somebody I think accused us of fueling some kind of a race war on Friday. That's That's not, but that was, you know, I remember the text message that we got after the Saskatchewan and Colton Bushy uh, trial. And it was, I want to go out, this was from someone who was indigenous saying, I want to go out and beat up the first white person I see today. And uh, so when Tina Fontaine when that verdict came in, I was concerned that we might see more of that. But I'm glad that the the, the walks were were peaceful and and uh, we had MLA Nahini Fontaine in the studio on Friday morning. Her emotion, if you couldn't hear it in her voice, and it'd be impossible to listen to that conversation without hearing it. We could certainly see it on her face, and I think the hope is for more more healing, but maybe a better understanding of where do we go from here. And my, my solid thought on this, my overriding prevailing belief is that until we see a young girl like Tina Fontaine or any other uh, murdered or missing Indigenous woman or girl as simply a missing or murdered girl in our community, uh, we we may never get over this divide. And I think we have to... We have to get that word uh, indigenous out of there, uh, not out of a lack of respect, but for for respect and for us to, uh, to, to see Tina as somebody from our greater community. And I think when we divide the community like that, I understand why it happens, but it's that whole idea of when we hear report of a murder or a report of violence in our city, quite often I know people will listen for the location, the geographic location of an incident like that, and they go, oh, well, it's not in my backyard, not on my side of the river, not in my neighborhood, so it doesn't really affect me. And until we start taking those blinders off, uh, we're not going to solve these things that divide us. The Pyeongchang Olympics wrapped up yesterday with Canadian speed skater Kim Boutang carrying the Maple Leaf flag in front of the country's athletes. The game saw Canada earn a record number of medals, 29 in total, including 11 gold, despite not finishing first in hockey or team curling. The 2018 games had to deal with a number of issues, and to talk about some of those, we're joined now live by South from South Korea by Jeff Semple, Global News Europe Bureau Chief. Mr. Semple, good Evening to you, sir. Yes, good morning, guys. Great to be with you. We appreciate your time. As always, it's uh, been great to connect with you over the last couple of weeks here, Jeff. How much longer have you got in South Korea before you, you head elsewhere? Yeah, it's well, it's Monday night here now, about 9.30 p.m., so we will be taking off around this time on Wednesday. So a couple more days to go yet, but a lot of takedown and, uh, and transportation issues uh, between uh, now and then. Oh, you mentioned the word transportation. <laughs> uh, Canadian a skier getting a little bit of trouble with local police for an alleged a drunk joy ride in a stolen vehicle. What can you tell us about that story for those that have maybe only heard uh, bits and pieces about this? 
Yeah, I can tell you that we will be taking a train back to Seoul and won't just be finding a Hummer that's sitting there idling and decide to take it for a joyride. That is apparently <laughs> what uh, a couple of members of Team Canada decided to do. Uh, out for a bit of a celebration, I guess, here local time Friday night and in the wee hours of Saturday morning, local police here told us that um, these Team Canada members, including Dave Duncan, who is a veteran skier for Team Canada, as well as his coach, Willie Rain, and Duncan's wife, the three of them came out of this bar, uh, walked for a minute or so, and then found a red Hummer that was sitting there, apparently engine on, it was idling, it was unlocked, and it was empty. Now, the driver of that Hummer has said that the battery, he'd been having some troubles with the battery, so he'd left it on, and you know, this this area is known to be very safe. There was not a lot of crime here, apparently, until the Canadians show up. So, apparently, allegedly, what happened was, these guys decided to get into the car and drive it back to Athletes Village, which is, you know, about 20 kilometers or so. Um, and when the police finally caught up with them, they said that uh, Willie Rain, who was the alleged driver, had a blood alcohol level of more than three times the legal limit here in South Korea. So the three of them were arrested. They spent about 24 hours or so in a South Korean jail here in the area. They've since been released, ordered to pay a fine. Now, and the fine, I think, for Dave Duncan and his wife was about $1,000 Canadian. For Willie Rain, who was the driver, it was about 5000 And the latest word we've heard from police here locally, guys, is that the fines have been paid, those athletes have been released, and will be on their way home shortly, if not already. The fact that uh, they were able to get away with paying a fine, did uh, would it, like, let's say, for example, this was just somebody who lives in South Korea who happened to be walking down the street and decided to do that, uh, would the, the penalty have been harsher? Like, did they get away with this because they were involved in the Olympics? Yeah, well, I mean, in terms of that, that's certainly been the reaction. Uh, I think we've seen online that they got special treatment here. Uh, Willie Rain, by the way, is the son of uh, Nancy Green Rain, who is a you know was a, a skiing legend in Canada, and incidentally is a Canadian senator currently appointed by the Conservative government. She represents British Columbia. She's slated to retire already in May. We reached out to her. She declined to comment uh, on the incident here involving her son. But for what it's worth, uh, the maximum penalty for drunk driving here in South Korea is three years in prison and something closer to a $17,000 fine. Uh, so I think it's, you know, by that standard, certainly it could have been a lot worse for these two Canadians and this one American. The Olympic Games, the next two games will be in Asia. So it'll be three consecutive to 2020, the Summer Games in Tokyo, and then 2022, the Winter Games Beijing will become the first city to host both the Winter and Summer Games. Is there a love affair with the, with the Olympics in Asia? Is this something that <laughs> the IOC uh, was forced into. Uh, how does this come about, Jeff? Well, in large part, this is a result of the fact that uh, suddenly a lot of countries have, have become disinterested in, in putting their names forward to host the Olympics, right? I mean, we've, say, we've seen uh, so, like the list of countries who are putting up their hands get shorter and shorter. Um, you know, incidentally, Calgary may be throwing its name into that hat, uh, looking several years down the line now. But that's part of the reason why we've had so many in Asia. Um, and you know, as as you note, uh, Beijing slated to become the first country to host both the summer and the winter. Uh, already, we've heard from the Beijing Olympic organizers. They've been here throughout these games. They held a press conference just the other day, saying that their venues and infrastructure are all under construction if not finished already um, they'll be transferring and reusing many of the same buildings that they used to host the summer games so yeah it should be interesting and already uh, just as an aside given that you know this is always a story that Canadians are interested in but the debate over whether the NHL players should be allowed to be 
be at Beijing has already started. Uh, we've heard a- kind of angry comments from the head of NBC Sports, of course, the American broadcaster who has been openly, publicly blaming NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman for the fact that NBC has had pretty abysmal ratings during these winter games. In fact, the television ratings in the United States hit their lowest ever for an Olympic Games here in Pyeongchang. NBC is blaming the NHL for that. Gary Bettman, the NHL commissioner, was asked about that just the other day, um, asked whether he might be interested in reconsidering, and he sounded like he's, he, his answer was effectively that he doesn't think they should be in Beijing either. So the hockey debate has already started, and we have four years to go, guys. Jeff Semple, Global News Europe Bureau Chief in South Korea. We're told you got to go, so thanks for joining us this morning, and thanks for all the great work you've done in South Korea. Thanks, guys. It's been a pleasure. Jeff Semple. From the Winter Olympics as they've wrapped up, and uh, ratings may have been poor, but I think I paid more attention to these games than I've ever paid attention to the Olympics. It's been fun. And it's been a coming out party for curling in the United States without question. We know several celebrities, and including Mr. T, uh, D-list, C-list, wherever he fits now. Regardless, he has tweeted and and discussed his love affair with curling, and I think a lot of people have caught on to this game. So whether or not uh, NBC overall has seen any increase or decrease, wherever the ratings sit, doesn't really matter, I don't think, for the game of curling. I've read several articles over this weekend that says this could just be the beginning of the popularity for that sport in the United States, and I think that's good news. Do you, did you hear what they're calling the, the that game, the fact that the Americans won the, the gold medal? The Mira Curl on ice. <laughs> I may have read that. <laughs> Outstanding. I saw that headline while I was just finishing up a sportscast on Saturday afternoon. The Americans, by the way, beat Sweden 10-7 in the championship. And I think one of the more interesting, so many interesting stories uh, came out of this. And one of them in particular, the Czech Republic's Esther Ledeska, or Ledeska, uh, usually a snowboarder, she ended up competing as a skier in the women's Super G on borrowed skis. She borrowed her skis from American Michaela Schifrin, and she was on the mountain, but I, the, as, my, as far as I understand, NBC called the race over. They said that no one has a shot at winning it because the, the best contestants, quote-unquote, had already competed, and I think they went away from it. And then Ledetska wins the gold medal on borrowed skis. She probably had to borrow the poles and the boots as well because the boots are much different for snowboarding and skiing. So she was probably in all completely borrowed equipment. Absolutely uh, one of the most uh, terrific uh, signs of, of sportsmanship in the entire games. She did go on to win gold as well in uh, snowboarding. Isn't that awesome? Uh, in the, uh, I believe it was the Alpine event uh but yeah so that that's just one of the the really cool stories in canada with their record haul even though they didn't win the gold and the hockey and curling outside of the mixed doubles so imagine what canada could have done had they claimed all the medals they should have quote unquote should should have have, right and then there are some that they weren't expected to win so that all balances out in the end and uh, hats off to team Germany my goodness taking the Olympic athletes of Russia to overtime in the gold medal game I have not watched the game yet I hear it is one for the ages it's on my PVR and I'll have to find time to watch that this evening sounds like uh, I missed quite 
one heck of a game that started just after 10 o'clock on Saturday night. So Cool. Sorry I missed it. Yeah, well, you'll have to get to that. Oh, and it was snowboarding parallel giant slalom. That alone was fun. It was fun just trying to learn all the different kinds of skiing and snowboard events because I don't know the difference between alpine and giant slalom or slalom or super G or I know what moguls are. You're a figure skating expert now. I think we all dream of warmer climates when we live in Manitoba. You know, we've gotten through, I think, most of the worst part of winter. But uh, in Japan, an airline is offering consumers an in-flight experience without actually going anywhere. Having a hard time wrapping my head around this. Uh, Shanalee Vidal, Bob Irving, Jeff Braun, and of course, behind the glass, Jerry joining us in studio. Uh, First Airlines is giving those who want to travel but have limitations such as money or health or or maybe time a chance to discover what a plane ride is like through a virtual reality airline. The virtual experience will ask customers to sit in a room designed like a plane, then put on virtual reality glasses. They'll then arrive at their destination like New York, Paris, Rome, or Hawaii and receive a virtual 360-degree tour of the region. The entire experience will be 111 minutes, according to the airline's website, and rides will range in price from $59 to $71 Canadian. So today we're having coffee talking, would you take a virtual reality vacation over a real one? <laughs> so, Shanley Vidal, you're the one who spotted this, and uh, you seemed rather excited about that. So, would you like to take a virtual reality vacation? Uh, well, I mean, there are a lot of benefits. You don't have to wait in line through, through customs. You don't have to have people kicking your seat. You don't have to get up so that people can use the washroom on the plane. So, there are advantages to that, but to me, it's 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 something you do for fun. It's not. It doesn't replace an actual vacation because part of a vacation is going through all of those horrible experiences of waiting in line and 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 just experiencing all because that's part of it and smelling all of the things and seeing all of the things and discovering things that you never knew about. So. I don't think it can replace a true vacation, and I hope not, because maybe some companies would say, oh, this is good enough, we can shorten your vacation. So I think it would be something to do for fun, though. I don't know. I don't, I don't understand. I don't no. see the fun of faking a plane ride as, like it's a... If it was maybe like a roller coaster ride or something, sure. But <laughs> sitting on an airplane, but not really. <laughs> Why? But it is exciting that they do feed you. That's that's exciting. <laughs> well, I hope that's included in the package. Well, it sounds as though that's it, it really like the highlight of the package. Is it even real food or fake food? Virtual. Like, is a guy to like come shoves a sandwich in your mouth while because you got the goggles on, you can't see. You don't know if a guy's coming up on you. You don't know with the spoon. You know what this reminds me of? And I'm going to play a clip here from a film. Total Recall. Do you dream of a vacation at the bottom of the ocean? But you can't float the bill? Have you always wanted to climb the mountains of Mars? But now you're over the hill? Then come to Recall Incorporated, where you can buy the memory of your ideal vacation cheaper, safer, and better than the real thing. So don't let life pass you by. Call Recall. For the memory of a lifetime. And then cheesy jingle, recall, recall. So you purchased the memory of a vacation that you actually never took. Correct. The upcoming Steven Spielberg movie next month, Ready Player One, is all about this too. 
See, if you have a vivid imagination, you don't have to go through any of this. You could just close your eyes and pretend you're on a beach in Waikiki, right, if you have a vivid imagination. But me, I'm a fearful flyer, so anything involving getting on an airplane is, is uh, forget it for me, whether it's virtual or otherwise. So I would have no part of this. And I would only do it under duress if I could actually get off the plane and put my foot onto a sandy beach. And into some salt water. I like the way you think, Bob Rubin. Yeah. Jerry, I mean, you're always working. This might be ideal for you. <laughs> well, you know, I, I'd be afraid of the exact same thing that happened in Total Recall. Yeah. I don't know if I'm actually in, in the, the vacation or, or I'm actually in real life. That's what I'd be afraid of. Yeah, it, uh, it certainly sounds neat. I mean, virtual reality is becoming a bigger thing. We've got multiple virtual reality arcades opening up throughout the city. And, uh, I mean... Good luck. You can you can do. It's I guess it's kind of a virtual reality golf simulators. I can I've played golf in quote unquote St Andrews. Do you know what? There, there is a point to that. <laughs> what is that Alexa ad where the young woman asks Alexa about the temperature outside and then set the set the thermostat to twenty five and then she tries to recreate summer in her home. You know as a an activity to try and get over the winter doldrums. I guess there's a sim similarity to that sort of thing. But, you know, the Japanese are pretty good business people. I suspect they haven't gone to all this trouble of creating this business. If people aren't using it, I saw pictures and video. It seems as though people are engaged in this, Chanelie. And, you know, it's only going to cost you 60 bucks. Really, I mean, it's not like not to rather than like six hundred or six thousand dollars. <laughs> I mean, you could you could go to multiple cities. You could go to Paris, Rome, all of the cities for just just a couple hundred dollars. You could take the back seat out of your minivan, put it in your garage on the floor, sit there for two hours, and it's the same thing. I'll say this for virtual reality: there's a ride at Disney World called Soaring, Soarin. And it's a virtual ride where you're kind of soaring over top of mountains and tall buildings in Paris and everything else. And it's incredibly cool. And you get the feeling that you're actually there. Yeah. It's exhilarating. So I guess this would be something like that. Yeah. So then uh, Disneyland, they have soaring over California. Yeah. And the first scene is you are probably about 600 feet over the Golden Gate Bridge. Oh, yeah. And it's you crazy. sit stacked about three high. And they lift you not really all yeah. that far off the ground, but high enough as though you feel as though you're suspended in midair cool. and they turn you and Jackie when we did that in California she was like I thought I was going to lose my my flip flop into the Pacific Ocean <laughs> as you're flying over the Golden Gate Bridge so it, there are Bob very good point uh, some extremely realistic virtual reality experiences out there Disney started it all I think with the Star Tours way back in the 90s you actually feel like you are moving and that ride only lasts about three or four minutes exactly. so Shanley, if we're talking about 90 minutes uh, no, I'm starting to come around today. I'm starting to come around <laughs> and there's Shanley a guy in Japan and just laughing all the way to the bank right now. Shan Lee is already buying the franchise for Winnipeg. What are you talking about? Tomorrow afternoon, Finance Minister Bill Morneau is expected to table his government's third federal budget in the House of Commons. Chief Economist of the Conference Board of Canada, Craig Alexander, says he does not expect large-scale tax changes when the federal government 
tables its budget. The government's going to be tabling a, a budget, which I think is going to be relatively modest, but filled with new measures with a, a dominant theme around uh, removing gender barriers. Uh, I think one of the challenges the government has is that in terms of the economic outlook, we're, we're likely to see modest economic growth going forward, and that'll constrain the tax revenues that they have for, for new initiatives. Moreover, this is the third, the third budget. Next budget will be before an election, and so the, the government might not want to make large-scale announcements given, given that the, the next budget is the one that, where they'll probably want to make the, 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 the biggest gains in terms of new programs before they go back to the electorate. Uh, in terms of the focus, I do think that there's going to be a gender theme. I think that the, the government has been very clear that what they're looking to do is remove barriers facing particularly women. And I think that's going to show up in a whole variety of different ways in, in terms of things to help promote women in sciences, help promote biz, uh, women entrepreneurs. Uh, on the tax front, I, I, I don't think we're going to see large-scale tax changes, uh, although small businesses will be watching for clarity around uh, some of the, the, the tax measures on small business that previously was very contentious. You might remember late last year we had a, had a, had a, a real debate about some of the proposals the government had around small business taxation. Alexander also addressed how the uncertainty about NAFTA and the certainty of taxes south of the border could play into the budget tomorrow. There's two dimensions to this. The first one is that uh, uncertainty related to NAFTA means that the government probably should put in place a, a contingency reserve in case the economy doesn't do as well as uh, private sector economists are expecting. So I, I think that in addition to using uh, 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 modest growth forecasts when building the budget, I think that they'll probably put aside something like $3 billion just in case the economy doesn't do as well as expected because of the potential risk of, of problems with the NAFTA renegotiations. When it comes to the tax competitiveness issue, I think this is a very fundamental issue. I think that Canada's gone from having a tax advantage versus the United States to having a disadvantage because of the large-scale tax cuts in the United States. Uh, but the, the government has been clear that we should not expect uh, cut uh, tax cuts uh, in this this budget. Uh, they they said basically they want to they want to see what the impact of the the new tax measures in the United States are and consider options before they make any large scale announcements on the tax front. But Canadian businesses don't compete just on taxation. They also compete uh, on 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 the basis of things like regulation. Regulation is one of the biggest costs that businesses face. So there are things they could do in the budget to to help uh, enhance business competitiveness. And it'll be interesting to see what comes out of it. I, I think that one of the things that we might see is some, some, some new announcements around how they're funding innovation and research and development. And this has come out of um, some of the, 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 the prior investigative work that's been done around how could Canada improve our, our in, innovation policy. So I think we'll probably hear um, more about competitiveness enhancement on that front, but I don't expect large-scale tax measures. That is Craig Alexander, Chief Economist of the Conference Board of Canada, talking about tomorrow's federal budget. I feel like I shouldn't be laughing right now. No, none but of us I, should be laughing right now. Well, I've, heard the, I've never heard this song yet. Another gem from Jerry. Thank you, Jerry. What is it, Jerry? Let us know. It's Sounds like George the Harrison. Oh, by the Beatles. Oh, well, there we of go. course. Yeah, then I definitely should know that song. The oh, the reason why we're playing it is the owner who killed an adopted pig has apologized. Molly the pig was adopted to a family in Duncan, B.C. in mid-January. The owner of the potbelly pig, Molly, 
who uh, the pig was killed and eaten by her owners after being adopted from the BC SPCA in January, has now taken to Facebook to explain his actions. This is the owner saying, I do promise that Molly died humanely. Global News reporter Carly Stanton has more. Can I have a kiss? Oh, thank you. They're lovable and easily trained. All the makings of a great pet. But there's one thing potbelly pigs aren't ideal for, and that's food. The SPCA is not the place you go to get this, this kind of pork onto your plate. That wasn't the case for Molly. The three-year-old pig was adopted from the BC SPCA by a Duncan couple on January 19th. It's being alleged after they came to realize they couldn't care for the animal properly, she was slaughtered for food. This is mortifying. News of Molly's death is sparking outrage among animal lovers online and across the province. These little pigs have a lifespan between 10 and 15 years. She was robbed and no charges are being made. According to the SPCA's Lori Chordick, the adoptive couple underwent thorough adoption counselling, even putting in writing Molly would be a pet and would live on their farm. She would not be used for food. However, once an adoption agreement is made, that person is the full legal owner of that animal, and unless the animal is left to suffer, there are absolutely no laws whatsoever that would allow any recourse. The organization did send out constables to the property to investigate the matter and determined the animal was killed humanely. You know, had this been a cat or a rabbit, would this be different? Would they be looking at it as an animal cruelty case in that aspect? In a statement, Chordick says the reality is it's not illegal to kill your own animal in Canada. Someone can take a gun and shoot their dog in the head as long as the dog dies instantly. Unfortunately, there is no law against that. The man who adopted Molly has been marked in the BCSPCA database as never being allowed to adopt any animal from them again. Good boy. Now how can you eat that? But for this pig owner, that won't bring Molly back. There needs to be something changed, either in the contracting, bylaws. It's completely wrong. Kylie Stanton, Global News. So we've heard that potbelly pigs make amazing pets. I've even heard their intelligence compared to or superior to dogs behind the glass. Jerry nodding in on that one. I don't know, you know, I don't have a chart of all the animals and where they fit on the intelligence scale, but uh, this seems reasonable to me. Yeah, I've been told that uh, pigs are actually a lot easier to train than a dog is, and uh, I I actually looked at getting a, a micro mini pig once before, uh, before I got uh, my dog, and uh, the dog was a little less expensive, so we went with the dog. So, so what was the attraction of the of the, Did you say a micro mini pig? A micro mini, yeah. They're smaller than the the pot belly because the pot bellies can get sure. huge, right? Absolutely. But the micro minis don't get much more than about fifty pounds. Well, the reality of this situation, Brett, is that this animal was taken and adopted from the SPCA. And if these people had the intention of owning it as a pet and then realized they couldn't care for it, it should have gone back to the SPCA. I know all the legalities, they they were within their rights to do this, but uh, it should have gone back. Come on, man. One, two, three. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackling, and she is Shanalee Vidal. Three things you may have missed over the weekend, specifically from the Olympics. Hi, Shanalee. Good morning, Brett. Good morning, Greg. Good morning, Shanley. Nice to see the sun shining behind you right now. Looks like it might be a very 
nice day. The uh, Olympics, the Winter Olympics version in South Korea wound up. I don't know if they finished tomorrow, yesterday, with all the time zone stuff. When was the closing ceremony? I don't know. I'm so confused. I know we were talking with Jeff Semple this morning, and it was like, is it the evening? Is it the morning? I think it's It's, already Tuesday there. It's it's so confusing. But anyway, so, um, so the 2018 Winter Olympics in South Korea are officially Canada's most successful Winter Games ever. Impressive. Yeah, we hauled in 29 medals surpassing the previous benchmark set at the 2010 Vancouver Olympics. On home soil. Yeah. So this is really impressive. Yeah. So Canada was in third in 2010 with 26 medals and finished the 2014 Winter Games with 25 medals. Now, however, in 2010, Canada did come in first place for total gold medals with 14. This year, Canada picked up 11 gold, 8 silver, and 10 bronze. Mm -hmm. Now, a month before the Games were underway, an international data analytics company predicted Canada would haul in 33 medals in South Korea. And Grace, Grace Note predicted Canada would take home seven, uh, seven gold, 12 silver, and 14 bronze. But I- so okay. if the curling folk would have done what they were supposed <laughs> to do, then uh, that would have been uh, very close to accurate. Yeah, there would have been two more saying. medals. Just, Just saying. I think we, we did pretty good for I ourselves. I know. I shouldn't be hard on the curlers. It just uh, It's just a knee-jerk reaction. It's something we do in Manitoba. They didn't send Manitoba teams for the men and women. So I think they'll learn next time. They will learn next time. That's right. So now the second thing, and, and it's, there's a bit of a dark cloud now hanging over uh, Canadian athletes because, uh, because we had the arrest of ski cross racer Dave Duncan mm-hmm. along with uh, his, te- his technical coach William, William Rain and uh, Dave Duncan's wife was uh, as well because it's alleged they went on a drunken early morning joyride. It's alleged a Hummer was stolen from outside a bar and driven to the athlete's village. This wasn't part of, this wasn't uh, one of those new uh, sports that maybe people hadn't heard of yet. This is, or maybe a demonstration sport. <laughs> Unfortunately, no. No, okay. no unfortunately, no. But a joint, a joint statement from the Duncans offers an apology. Uh, Rain, the coach, also issued a statement saying he's let down his teammates, friends, and family. He was given a fine that works out to approximately $5,900 Canadian. Uh, Duncan and his wife were each given fines of approximately $1,200 Canadian each, and they must remain in South Korea until the fines are paid, and they're probably already already paid that's that's just a slap on the wrist that's yeah it's a slap yeah, on the that's wrist that's a pretty serious offense yeah and all joking aside that's an absolute embarrassment for somebody to oh, to yeah. act like that on uh, never mind in canada on foreign soil oh, when you're when you're representing our country elsewhere the, the, that is uh, very very shame on you no, shame on absolutely. you absolutely you know what when you go to a foreign country it's a foreign country, you know, they have different laws, mm-hmm. different, you know, so you're not, you're not as safe as you are in Canada. So, you know, you have to follow those rules and, and drinking and driving is just stupid. So I, yes, it is quite an embarrassment. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's a black eye. Yes. So now the third thing is something pretty neat. Uh, Canadian athletes in South Korea were treated to a last minute Arkells concert. I adore you. That is pretty cool. And it was like this little intimate, uh, intimate show that they put on at Canada House. Now the band says the whole trip started when they when they enlisted ice dancers Tessa Virtue and Scott Moyer to help announce their summer tour in Hamilton. So that happened the day the Olympics kicked off, and then we got a tweet from somebody at the Canada House here in Korea saying. We've been listening to Arkells 24-7, so we tweeted back and said we should probably just come to Korea playing to play for you. 
And then it happened. So on February 16th, Air Canada responded to the band's tweet offering to play in Korea, saying they could, quote, make it happen. Pretty cool. Yeah. And from there, the airline picked up the tab to bring the group to Pyeongchang, South Korea, spurring excitement from several Canadian Olympians. Mm. Pretty neat. That's cool. And, and just mm. to, to, to just so last minute, just, hey, you, you want to go play at Athletes Village in Canada House and... Okay. Now, not all of us can go to South Korea, and uh, certainly uh, none of us in this room have ever been Olympic athletes to see a concert like that in Canada House, but maybe you could see a pretty cool concert in Winnipeg. Yes, I announced just this morning on Power 97, our sibling station down the hall, Winnipeg's Rock, September 13, Bell MTS Place, Metallica, the World Wired Tour 2018-19. Tickets on sale this Friday at 10 a.m. And uh, they are doing Beat the Box Office all week on Power Mornings with Philly, Joe, and Randy. And uh, yeah, Metallica, man, that's pretty cool. That is pretty We just heard Pat Boone cool. play Metallica <laughs> on Friday. Now you can hear the real deal. I guess uh, that uh, Jerry was planting a seed. He knew what was to come, Shanley. You a uh, Metallica fan? How, but you know, I think the thing is, how can you not be? They do have uh, so many great hits. And I think I think hits that can be loved by like so many different types of people, whether or not you're a metalhead or you're just a music lover. They were like the last bastion of like uncommercial or non-commercial heavy metal for a lot of people, and then a lot of people thought that they sold out with. I think it was Bob Rock that they worked with on the Black album, and okay. so uh, some of their truer fans would disagree with that, but. I, w- I will go and see this concert. Yeah, and it what looks like... What day of the week is it? It's uh, September 13. So that is... Hang on. Oh, boy. Uh, September 13 always, is a is Thursday. A, oh, I oh. will not be going to see that concert. It's, it's a, it's a Thursday's practically Friday. It's kind of like a, a pre-weekend. <laughs> and every... Looks like every ticket purchased includes Hardwired to Self-Destruct, which is available now. And again, Metallica, September 13th, Bell MTS Place, tickets on sale on Friday. (laughs) This is Game of Thrones. Or not, who's doing this version? With some weird metal version of it. I like it. Very nice. Mackling McGarry, Monday morning. It's three M's in a row. It's quite the alliteration. Yep. Uh, Game of Thrones, obviously a cultural phenomenon. Can we call it that? Is it a cultural phenomenon? Yes. yes. I mean, there's no disputing that, right? Nope. What's interesting is when people take cultural phenomenons uh, to what I would call the next level. Yeah. This is something that we, we see quite a bit, and we'll get into that in a moment, but we're talking about so-called wolf dogs, described as being too tame to survive in the wild, but too wild to be pets. In the past few years, the popularity of Game of Thrones has driven a surge in the rare breed's popularity. But as Global News' as Tracy Nagai reports, that is having unintended consequences. A routine walk through a park on a crisp winter morning. But what's on the leash will make you take a second look. People say, oh, he looks like a wolf. Oh, you have a wolf pet. Oh, someone said you have a fox. Well, (laughs) I don't have a fox. No, not a fox, but a wolf dog named Onyx. He's only about 35% wolf, but majestic nonetheless, and comes with his fair share of issues. So he's not like... 
anybody can come over and play with him and, and interact with him. It's really <laughs> a challenge for him to get to know new people. And the list doesn't end there. They're escape artists. Some of them can easily scale six foot fencing. Recall is not usually the best. They don't necessarily want to come when called. Um, they can be pretty destructive as well. We've had one chew a couch down to the frame in about a half hour. <laughs> Just west of Calgary, a sanctuary for these animals who have either been surrendered or abandoned by their owners. It's the only one of its kind in Canada. And now this place is bursting at the seams. Now we've got 23 permanent residents. It means that we are at full capacity right now. So we pretty much don't have any space to take in new animals. Prompting the organization to start an online auction to raise money to build new enclosures. Experts at the sanctuary say one reason for the overcrowding shows like Emmy Award winning Game of Thrones, which can portray the animals as either being overly aggressive or overly friendly. This wolf dog Nova is even a cousin of Ghost who plays a dire wolf in the TV series. He's lived at the sanctuary most of his life, brought to the organization when he was just a puppy. Heron adopted Onyx over one year ago and there are happy endings. This connection I have with Onyx is like nothing I've had before. He is the best thing that's happened to me in a long time. I just love this wolf dog and I don't know what I will do without him. For those who are prepared to nurture the beast inside their pet. Trace Nagai, Global News, that's Calgary. Oh, sorry, sorry, Tracy. Uh, that's a step up from Nemo. Nemo is a clownfish. And you know, after finding Nemo, many children wanted clownfish, right? Yes. It was a clownfish, right? It yeah. was a clownfish. Okay. Okay, like you can put that in a fish bowl. You don't have to walk it. Um, this whole idea of these of these wolf dogs being, you know, too tame for the wild, but too wild to be pets. Uh, why do people foray into this relationship if uh, there's... A little bit of iffiness taking place. I don't understand it. Yeah, I mean, they—you always see this kind of thing, right? I mean, hundred and one Dalmatians. Everybody wants to get a Dalmatian, and a lot of times you hear that people adopt these pets and then they return them or they get rid of them because the novelty wears off. So we watched this story from Tracy, and these wolf dogs are quite beautiful. They're gorgeous animals, and uh, but. It's funny how pop culture has that kind of effect. I mean, I think one of the, the more popular baby names in recent years was Khaleesi, which isn't even actually her name in the show. The character, it's her title. Her name is Daenerys, which I think also is has invaded baby namedom. So, yeah, the, the, the dire wolves of Game of Thrones have inspired wolf dog popularity. And I suppose, uh, I mean, hey, people like to have all sorts of weird things as pets, kind of like pot-bellied pigs, which then ended up in their pot-bellies. You're trying to make me cry. <laughs> really. I think we're talking about Molly the pot-belly pig. I'm sure you've heard this story. It is... Easily the most popular story on globalnews.ca right now. And it's like leading the next most popular story in popularity almost two to one. The oh second one is uh, has to do with Ivanka Trunk, Trump showing up at the Olympics. And so uh, this idea of adopting a potbelly pig from the SBCA, going through all their screening processes 
And then at the end telling them, yep, this is we want to keep Molly as a pet. And then realizing that it was a little bit too onerous for the folks in Duncan, B.C. to keep it as a pet. And then instead of returning it, so somebody else could have a crack at looking after Molly, the potbelly pig, as a pet, they decide, well, it's reasonable for us to uh, cultivate Molly. And how do you make, how do you come up with that decision with a clear conscience? Yeah, I, if you don't want the animal, say take it back. Yeah, take it back. Just because it's a pig doesn't give you permission to. I mean, technically they do. They have legal rights to do exactly what they did, but morally, I think that's way over the line. I know, and I I realize maybe it makes me kind of a hypocrite to say, well, uh, I I wouldn't uh, kill this pig and eat it, but then I'll and I'm I'm happy to go to the grocery store and buy a package of bacon. But I didn't adopt a pig, and I I I wouldn't even know where to begin with how do you how do you end this animal's life and then dispose of it? I don't know. I, clearly, this person has some background in it that. Was supposedly done humanely. The SPCA did go out and investigate this, so there's no charges or or sanctions other than the fact that these individuals, this family, won't be allowed to. Uh, adopt any more pets from the SPCA, probably anywhere in British Columbia. I would like to think that they're on a list right across the country Yeah. after this happened. But are we overreacting to this or is this like a case of you made a promise, you failed to deliver on the promise. Once you realize you couldn't do that, shouldn't you have been a bigger person and just kind of loaded Molly up in your pickup truck and gone back to the SPCA? Sorry, we said we could do this. We can't. Yeah, it almost. I almost wonder if that was always the intention. Well, let's take this pig and then well, we'll cook it. We'll have a we'll have a pig roast or something like that. I don't know. And but the reality is, not illegal to kill your own animal in Canada. You can take a gun and shoot your dog in the head as Ugh. long as the dog dies instantly. There is no law Ugh. against that. That makes us clearly makes us both sad. And uh, now a lot of people are angry about Molly. Andy, whoa, whoa, looks a scream. Now, the reason why Jerry was playing that music has to do with the bane of Greg's existence. Mm -hmm. The graffiti-covered vacant billboard at Portage Avenue and Sherbrooke Street. Getting a makeover after all, Greg. Good job on the city of Winnipeg. Global News first told you last fall that Sussex, Sussex Realty wanted to loan the derelict space on top of the Casa Loma building to the Winnipeg Art Gallery, but they needed the city's permission to repurpose it. In January, they were denied by the city's Board of Adjustments. The public service said the sign was too large and didn't fit with the heritage building it sits on. Well, Sussex Realty appealed, and the decision was overturned by the appeal committee at City Hall Friday morning. Catherine Masmick uh, from the Winnipeg Art Gallery spoke with Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckham, Buckingham on the news about what will go on the billboard. There will be art, art by local uh, Manitoban and Canadian artists and beyond. So it's uh, going to be a rotating series of artists. Uh, we're talking about really uh, striking, beautiful, thought-provoking images with very little text. This has been an eyesore for years upon <laughs> years, and I have to give uh, credit to our 680 CGOB colleague, Greg Mackling, who has yes. spearheaded this. He's uh, been following the story. 
on 680 CJOB for you folks as well. Yes. Is there anything like it in Winnipeg when we talk about this billboard and what it's going to evolve to be? Well, I guess you could compare it a little bit to the banner that's on the WEG building on Memorial Boulevard. Uh, we have right now uh, work by local artist Kenneth Lavely, and it's part of our Insurgents Resurgence exhibition that's on now. Um, and the the public has been reacting really well to it. And, you know, it's that sort of a thing, bringing art to this street and trying to really enhance public space through art. It's kind of like an outdoor art gallery. And it, it is going to transform that space. There's no doubt about it. When will we get to see the new and improved billboard? Well, we have to have it up by September 1st based on the agreement uh, from today. We're hoping sooner. We're ready to go at the WAG. Um, And I know an engineer has uh, looked at the structure. It's all good. Uh, And there's uh, some superficial upgrades that need to happen in the before we put the sign up. But yeah, we're, we're very close. Catherine Maximiak with the Winnipeg Art Gallery speaking with Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham on the news about what is going to go on that vacant billboard on top of the Casaloma building at Portage and Sherbrooke, which really is, it's just such an eyesore as you're coming down the street, you're coming out ahead of going eastbound on Portage and you can see it for... A long way off. It's just horrible. It really is. And so uh, congratulations to Sussex Realty and to the WAG. And uh, Catherine mentioned there that I've been following this story. I I think we really drove the agenda a little bit here, if we can pat ourselves on the back a little bit here, because it was the the board of uh, 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 the city that said, look, um, we're not going to let this happen. It's too big, doesn't fit in, blah, blah, blah. But then it's overturned at the city. And to our knowledge... To our knowledge and the investigating that we had done on this, it was going to be very difficult for the city of Winnipeg to force the owners of that building to take that superstructure down. Very limited powers. The city suggested they had the power. We don't know where they were getting that power from because we studied the bylaws. Uh, The bottom line is that if you can't take that superstructure down, that rusting hulk, then you know what? the next best decision would be to repurpose it. And thank goodness that the city came around on that because to leave it the way it was, simply not an option. Yeah, it's gross. So we're glad to hear that they'll be able to move forward on this with the Winnipeg Art Gallery. The Winnipeg Humane Society is finding success from an innovative program for Winnipeg's North End, an area greatly impacted by CAT. Overpopulation. To tell us more about the program, we are joined by CEO of the Winnipeg Humane Society, Javier Schwarzenski. Javier, thank you so much for joining us this morning on 680 CJOB. Hi, good morning. Thank you for having me. Well, we appreciate you taking the time. Tell us a little bit about this program that started last April. Well, uh, you know, we um, we have had for uh, for a number of years uh, a low-cost neuro program across the uh, the city. And uh, we found that certain areas uh, that are kind of hard hit by cut overpopulation, um, people are just not coming in. And uh, in, in doing that research, we found out that the issue was uh, transportation and distrust. People didn't understand what Spain was or, you know, what uh, our services were. 
uh, and frankly, a little bit of the cost as well. Um, you know, uh, although the traditional spay and neuter program that we run for low-income uh, individuals is $25, you have to add transportation and taking time off. So we partner with uh, an organization that works directly in the area, uh, CARE, Jessica Thompson, and the city of Winnipeg, uh, in their cat licensing program, they had provisions uh, that they uh, were going to allocate half of what they collect in cat licenses for innovative uh, spay and neuter programs. So we got to put everything together. Um, Jessica runs um, a little shop that is now our, um, we call it our outpost or our liaison office on Main Street. And we started booking uh, surgeries, and oh boy, uh, we're booking surgeries through this program now. How many? Well, uh, we are, you know, I was looking up at the uh, number, but uh, in in the the last few months, we did 711 cats, and that requires people transporting the cats and is essentially going door to door explaining what spay and neutering is and why it's important for their pets. And uh, we provide them with um, an overall wellness exam. We do the spay and neuter surgery. We tell the, um, you know, the cat family or the owner, you know, what might be required in, in terms of care. Um, you know, there's some dental issues sometimes that we we can educate them on. And um, it all costs between, you know, $5 and zero, depending on, this, on the situation, uh, the uh, care team essentially assesses the situation at the address and um, based on their assessment on the ground, we're able to then uh, do surgeries. And uh, we also have partnered with, uh, we were so overwhelmed that uh, we reached out to the veterinarian community and uh, other uh, veterinary clinics are helping us out. Uh, McRae, um, Tuxedo, um, Centennial are all also uh, part of this program. Javier Schwarzenski is the CEO of the Winnipeg Humane Society. And Javier, when you look at the success of a program like this, there's also, I imagine, the double benefit when you when you talk about Leland Gordon and Winnipeg Animal Services, the idea that now you have not only have you got spayed or neutered cats, now you also have a record of these cats, and I assume that these cats very quickly become registered and licensed. Well, we uh, Leland, you know, is is kind enough, and in our partnership with Animal Services, um, you know, I like to highlight how how good it is and and how responsive the city has been to our very unusual request. Uh, and uh, we do provide the uh, the free uh, for one year uh, light cat license, and uh, it's it's essentially a proof that you know the money that individuals. There's a lot of concern about cat, cat licensing and where the money is flowing. And I think in, in, uh, there has been some wisdom in terms of saying, well, half of the money is going to go to these innovative programs. I also would be remiss not to mention that in the summertime, uh, we partnered with Winnipeg Lost Cat Alert, and we have started doing spay and neuter uh, surgeries for, uh, I wouldn't call them free-roaming cats, but shop cats, uh, cats that end up in industrial areas. And uh, we are able to essentially trap them uh, do their spay and neuter surgery and return them to field, and that is done uh, through uh, Winnipeg Lost Cat Alert, and, and that's the important thing: is the partnerships. 
you know, we, we are in a 45 hertz way. Um, we are far away from certain areas of needs, and by partnering with uh, the community and with the uh, help of the city, uh, we're able to do uh, great things for cats in, in our community. Well, good for you for helping out in the North End. Uh, this is, uh, I think, really a great initiative. Are there other, do you have plans to do this in other communities in Winnipeg? Well, uh, you know, funny you ask. We, you know, we are now preparing our uh, year two funding uh, proposal, and uh, we are uh, hoping that we can expand the uh, the program. It's an issue of resources as well. Our, our clinic, you know, we can do thirty to thirty-five surgeries every day, uh, which is fairly high volume. But we have our own surrendered animals. We have uh, individuals coming through our traditional spay and neuter program. And then we have this. So we are hoping that the uh, private veterinary clinics will partner more with us and will give us more surgery slots so we can do this more uh, across the the city, yes. You know, Javier, it's very well and good to pay lip service to the idea we need to do more, we need to control the pet population. Bob Barker has done a tremendous job of bringing awareness over the decades, but it didn't necessarily translate into more responsible pet ownership. And uh, pet ownership isn't something that should be uh, only for one segment of the population. They they have a, a lot of benefits for, for people of all uh, socioeconomic uh, backgrounds. Well, yes, we, we, we don't believe that, you know, um, people should own animals if they are not prepared to care for them. Having said that, um, also we, we feel that, um, you know, being able to do certain basic things like spay and neuter if you don't, don't have the means uh, shouldn't be an impediment uh, if you are a responsible pet owner. And, you know, in the North End, I can I can tell you because we have met already, you know, over 700 individuals and they love their pets and they care for them and they don't buy things for themselves in order to buy the proper food for their, for their animals. But, you know, spay and neuter can be very expensive. So if we can help them with that and, and then they will not have a pregnant animal and, or, or, or animals and they multiply so quickly, then we can do something meaningful about it. And, and that's what really uh, makes us really proud of this partnership that we, uh, that we have. Javier, I'm going to ask, ask this question very carefully here uh, just because we have uh, – well, I'll just I'll ask it this way. If I, if I come and I acquire a pet at the Humane Society and uh, I find out or determine uh, days or weeks later that I cannot care for that animal, what is the expectation of what I would do with that animal in a situation like that? You will call us back and return the animal to us, and we'll find um, a different pl- placement for that animal. Plain and simple, um, right? It, it is, and, and we do have our Yelp line. I mean, there are many different issues. Uh, we try to screen, you know, there's a process that you go through uh, when you um, are going to adopt an animal from us, and we try to assess as much as we can. And some uh, difficult conversations, and I, you know, have some individuals calling me directly saying, why are you denying me, you know, having this pet or that? I said, you know what, based on what you're telling us your situation is, um, it may not be the best decision for you at this point in time. Uh, but if that fails, and, and, you know, we have people that are determined to say, no, this is going to work, and then it doesn't, uh, we, we, of course, try to see if uh, there are behavior issues or, or, or setup issues in the house, how we can help them through our Yelp line. But if that doesn't work, uh, you can always, uh, you know, return the, the animal back to the Winnipeg Humane Society, and we will 
simply just, you know, find a different adopter for it. Javier Schwarzenski, CEO of the Winnipeg Humane Society. Thank you very much for joining us this morning on 680 CJOB. Thank you. Now, I think Javier was about to say have a good day, and I put him on hold just as I was doing that. Sorry about that, Javier. And that question that uh, Greg was asking there was sort of in relation to this Molly the Pig situation. These folks in B.C. adopt a pig, and they learn that there are some problems with the pig, and they're not going to be able to take care of it. So instead of returning the pig to the B.C. SPCA, they killed Molly and ate her. And, uh, yeah, if you adopt a pet and for whatever reason you can't take care of this animal, bring the animal back. Don't kill it and eat it. Thanks to... Behind the Glass Jerry, Shanalee Vidal, I'm Brett McGarry, he's Greg Mackling. Thank you for listening to 680 CJOB. And then-